You are listening to the Enormo cast. Hey there. Well, you still have Vanessa's sexy voice ringing in your head. And before you've started to furiously press the plus 10 on your phone, don't do it. Stop, stop, stop. Remember, there's a couple ways to help out some climbers out there and help out the Enorma cast and get cool shit sent right to your door. Go to belayspecs.com and enter EnormaCast at checkout for a discount on those glasses that will save your neck. And or go to peterwgilroy.com for climbing-inspired jewelry, accessories for both men and women, all handmade by Peter Gilroy, a climber, and enter Enormo at checkout for a discount and to help the podcast. So remember, belayspecs.com, EnormaCast at checkout, or peterwgilroy.com, enter Enormo at checkout. All right, next commercial. No, wait, wait. Just, just listen. Don't press the forward button. Not yet. Just listen. Come on. Climbing girls and boys know that Indian Creek season is upon us, which means only one thing. More profile pics of people doing yoga in front of desert sunsets. But what it really means is we're talking about cams. Where the hell are we going to get enough cams? With the introduction of the ultralights in 2016, the Black Diamond Camelot still reigns supreme when it comes to plugging up those mega splitters with more swagger than a crusty lifer lapping incredible handcrack for the 140th time. Wait, that might be me. Anyway, Camelots, ultralight or not, are the go-to cam in the des and beyond. You know it, I know it, even the guidebook knows it. So if you want to bang out the last 10 feet to the chains with confidence, go to blackdiamondequipment.com or your local shop and get a few to throw on the gear pile as you and your friends get ready for yet another best day ever in the creek. And remember, when you support Black Diamond, you support the Enormacast. Uh, uh, where are you playing it at? You're playing here? We're doing the uh, Enormo the Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, yeah, big place. That's on a town. That's a big place. You're so sold it out. I'll see. You really should. The hell are you doing? I couldn't sleep. I'm checking the roads. I was afraid end on Europe. And I'm cutting it out. <laughs> Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment, with support from Maxim Ropes. And the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Enormacast. This is your host, Chris Galus. It is about 10.45 here in Carbondale, Colorado, at the Enormo headquarters, April 3rd, 2017, and this is episode 126 of the Enormacast, a conversation with climber, doctor, and ninja, Noah Kaufman. And we have some business to talk about, a little bit of uh, upcoming events. It's springtime. The Enormacast is busting out a little bit. Of course, Five Point Film Festival is coming up on the 20th to the 23rd here in Carbondale, Colorado. Great film festival, all sorts of outdoor stuff, including climbing. And per usual, I'll be doing a live Enormacast 
here in Carbondale, not at the Bonfire Coffee per usual, but uh, across the street and up the street in the park, outdoors. We're going to do it outside. And I believe it's at noon on Friday, but check the program if you're coming up. And also, I think I'll be MC on Thursday night. So come check all that stuff out. Great event. Super fun. Glad to be part of it. Been part of it for years. So April 20th to the 23rd and go to fivepointfilm.org, the number fivepointfilm.org for more information. And the other thing I want to do today is give a plug for Mr. Luke Mihal and the folks over at The Climbing Zine. Luke's been on the show a few times, great friend of the show and just a good friend of mine, actually. And he's down there putting out this compilation of climber writing every few months. And you guys can check it out. There's a new issue on its way. I don't know if it's out at this moment, but it's out any minute. Raw, number 10, Climbing Zine number 10. But go over to climbingzine.com, subscribe. You'll be supporting climbers. Not just the folks putting it together like Luke, but the writers that are in the climbing zine. If you believe in dirtbag culture, if you believe in climbers as entrepreneurs, then you should support the climbing zine and Luke down there in Durango. So climbingzine.com, new issue raw. All right, let's talk about this Noah Kaufman interview. Noah is mostly known, at least on the internet and in the greater media world, as one of the ninjas, the ninja doc. He's uh, been competing in the American Ninja Warrior competitions for a few years and kind of uh, added it to his resume, which includes being a great climber, particularly bouldering, also a doctor, also a husband, also a father. Talk a little bit about this full life that he's trying to lead. I'm going to admit, and Noah understood this, that the ninja thing is a little weird, right? Coming from a climbing standpoint, we, we know that climbers have done really well at it, and some of us maybe watch it. And we all know that uh, Isaac Caldiero won the Ninja a couple years ago or last year and, uh, you know, took home a million bucks. So that's pretty cool. But I wasn't sure what to think of it, actually, until I sat down with Noah. And the stuff he talked about really made sense to me. And he talks about living a fuller life. And folks have often gotten in contact with me and asked me to interview folks who maybe aren't professional climbers or, you know, people who've given up everything, but the people who are living kind of a fuller life with families and with careers and with jobs, you know, and this ninja thing and still getting it all done and still climbing as much as he possibly can. And that's who this guy is. You know, he is definitely in a bit of the same category as Rob Pism in terms of someone who can manage his time and get a lot of things done and seems to have endless energy for all sorts of pursuits. And so this talk, uh, it, it waxes into the philosophical about not just what climbing means, but how to get it done, but also how to have a fuller life and try to, you know, dip your toe in many, many aspects of living versus just the the climbing that we always talk about. So I hope you guys enjoy this one and find the ninja stuff as interesting as I did. So let's get to it. A conversation with the ninja doc, climber Noah Kaufman. Hey there. Is the carefully curated nonchalant image exuded by your layers of canvas work clothes no longer cutting it at the cliff? Or are those black yoga pants just a little too sheer for broad daylight? Well, Sportiva has the answer with climbing apparel with enough colorful panache to make you feel as sassy as Adam Andre eating a cannoli with Claudia Cardinale on a gondola in Venice. Now that's continental, Adam. From a day at the Craig's casual to high-tech outerwear, Sportiva wants you to look good so you can climb good, or well, 
Well, their English isn't that amazing, but their new spring apparel line is. So check it out at Sportiva.com or your local shop, or even their new outlet store in Boulder, Colorado. La Sportiva, proud sponsor of the Enorma Cast. It's a That's microphone. We're, we're trying to podcast. record. You're being recorded right now, actually. Yeah, he can hear you. Who? The world. It's going to go on the internet. Here, say hello, world. Hello, world. <laughs> okay, get out of here. Go out, get out of here. I might pick you up. I might not. We'll talk about it. <laughs> can you tell me when we get in bed? Yes, when we get in yeah. bed. Now, don't bother us again, or I'm breaking your other arm. <laughs> All right, that's on there too now. <laughs> but uh, so let's just go into the whole ninja thing because we're here to talk about climbing. Yeah. Um, you're a verse climber. You've been developing climbing for years. Um, oh, yeah. You have your own resume with a lot of depth in it. And yeah, like I, I said when I got here, when I kind of did my Enormacast five-minute Google search, right. uh, because, I mean, a little background is like we're, we're sitting here wondering if we've ever met. We've run in sort of some similar circles, and we know each other's names and interacted on Facebook, which almost becomes now this, like, proxy for having met each other. Yeah. But, um, but when I went to do my research, it's just it's the ninja thing, and the climbing stuff is is just buried by by probably volume in terms of the hits that that stuff gets on because it's on a national stage totally so you're a climber and we'll backtrack into that but tell me about a moment when this uh this ninja thing what it is and how like that became such a big part of your at least uh, kind of public identity. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I'm sure we've met at the crag sometime. Right, right. You look so familiar. And and I listen to the podcast, so I, I know your voice. And like Yeah, I really like I said, you. there's all these different ways in which we kind of know each other. I always feel like that with climbers. That's and it's awesome about the community. Yeah, it's like, like we tribe. might have locked eyes at the project <laughs> yeah. wall or something, you right, know, like that. Right, it's the family. So, yeah, I've been climbing for 25 years, and, you know, like a lot of other climbers, the moment I did it, I knew that that was the direction of the rest of my life. I knew that was something I really wanted to do. It was something I wanted to be, and it was just something that was... I instantly identified with it. I, you know, uh, I, I knew that I wanted to do it. So fast forward, I guess, 20 years. And we'll go back to, so. Yeah, yeah, okay. You know, I'm it's going to skip it. Sure, but. sure. But, but fast forward to Ninja at that pivotal point, the mm-hmm. transition. Uh, Brian Arnold, you know, my good friend of a good long time, uh, and I were in Yosemite where I had a gig as the Yosemite doc. Okay. And, I, and they put us in a house. I, I had a house behind the clinic, and I was on call. I could go out and climb. It was it was fantastic. So we're sitting in Yosemite in in my house, basically that was the doctor house, and I was on call for the week, and we had cable in there, and we were watching, uh, like I think it was Spike or G Four or something. Mm-hmm. It was Ninja Warrior, and we were just kind of laughing, like, oh, we would do great on that show. Climbers would do great, and that house was always full of climbers. Mm-hmm. You know, Isaac Caldiero was in there, Steve Mache, Mike Call, everybody would come from all around and road trip to Yosemite and hang out at this house. We had great poker games. But anyways, we were watching this ninja show and we were all like, man, this is, this is like for climbers. Climbers could win this. No problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, A year or two later, it was on American Ninja Warrior. They, they started the brand or whatever. And Brian, he, he did it. He was like, I'm doing it guys. And he applied to the show. He sent in a 
and he did really well. He uh-huh. made like the top one percent of ninjas his first first time out. And uh, I think we were like, wow. And so he was like, Noah, you got to do this. So the next year, you know, without any training or anything, I took, I I submitted a video. And I think in the video I said, oh, yeah, climbers are going to dominate this thing. It's just built for us. And uh, and then they took me. They took me on the show. And that started kind of this avalanche of. Um, you know, the, the following five years. And now I've been doing Team Ninja Warrior. I've done American Ninja Warrior three years now and Team Ninja Warrior two years. And uh, Matt Wilder, who, who I've, everybody obviously knows, is on my team for Team Ninja Warrior. Uh-huh. So we have a show coming up on May 2nd on USA. Uh, our team battles other ninja teams in okay. head-to-head racing. So it's pretty exciting. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I just kind of got sucked in. Mm-hmm. And... You know, the great thing is, is climbing just prepares you so well for Ninja that all the climbers, you know, we we instantly did so well. And it put climbing really, it accelerated climbing, I think, and put it on the Mm -hmm. map. Joel Brady called it the uh, the climber senior circuit, and uh, and you know and it kind of was you know Joel Brady did it and um, and and Matt Wilder and myself and Brian we're all kind of you know mid to late thirties. I'm 42 now, and it's just been a, a really fun chance to go out and show your skills and just tackle this crazy obstacle course that a lot of it relies on upper body. It's been very interesting, and now we've taken it and uh, we've run with it, and we're putting on our own competition that everybody can come and check out. And if anybody wanted to try a Ninja Warrior course, they can now. <laughs> well, tell me about that, because that's kind of part, part of what got me here was, was uh, I think, an email from from uh, your organization or something that yeah. was like, hey, we're doing this thing. Um, but then I was like, well, uh, you know, I'm going to go talk to these guys because they're climbers. Right, uh, right. First and foremost, but as long as we're talking about what's this, this Sure, event. I'll mention it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and we would love to have climbers come out and just... I mean, personally, between you and me, I love watching climbers excel at Ninja. Mm-hmm. We've got $30,000 in cash and prizes. All right. And uh, some sponsored athletes like Nathaniel Coleman, the uh, bouldering champion. Obviously, everybody knows him. He's coming out to compete. Um, a ton of climbers are coming out to compete. And so, yeah, April 29th and 30th at the Magnus Arena. It's going to be a huge indoor arena. Where is that? Well, you go, in, this, in, is, this is worldwide. No, oh, yeah. you got to be more specific. Sure, sure. Denver, Colorado. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. Denver, Colorado, <laughs> April 29th and 30th. You go to right. wolf, wolfpackninjatour.com. Uh-huh. All one word, wolfpackninjatour. Okay. And you can learn all about it, see videos of the course that we're testing. And really, it's going to be head-to-head racing, ninja racing, mm-hmm. for thir- over $30,000 in cash cash and prizes and you know it's good I'm a, I'm a physician this benefits Children's Hospital of Colorado okay it does some real good things uh, we're subsidizing kids tickets and you know we're honestly on this first event we're trying to break even but if we can we're going to turn this into a national tour and build it out into a real sport uh-huh. and so it's it's pretty exciting Jeff Britton's going to be there you know one of the, the first American Ninja Warrior along with Isaac Caldero um, Isaac I don't think will make it but it's uh, it's going to be a great event and if anybody can come out we want to see climbers come out and take take the podium for sure like anybody uh-huh. who does World Cup or Nationals or anything Come out and compete. It's going to be off the hook, you know, fun racing head to head with other climbers, ninjas, and a lot of it is upper body campusing, uh-huh. super fun courses. Are you at all like, um, I mean, the the people who've come up with this show, like, do you yeah. have any, are you sort of involved enough to kind of have talked to them about their, sure, like, the yeah. conception of this whole operation? Yeah, and they're a TV show, right. and, and their job is to make money, right. and to sell 
advertising. Right. They love anything that extends the brand and mm-hmm. that get and that's good for the ninjas. Mm-hmm. And since all the top ninjas are going to be at this Wolfpack Ninja Tour at the end of April, uh, you know they support it. Right. Jesse Graff's going to be there. Megan Martin, Joe Moravsky, Jeff Britton, every everybody who you, people kind of recognize from mm-hmm. the show mm-hmm. is going to be there competing. Mm-hmm. And it's it's going to be really exciting to see who takes home the cash. <laughs> right on. Yeah, well, that's a good. I mean, that's a good event in terms of climbing for that. If there's that kind of money floating around too, so yeah, it's. I mean, you think about it, it's a lot more money than like World Cups mm-hmm. or national competitions. Mm-hmm. Thirty thousand dollars in cash prizes. Not, climbers definitely should get involved yeah. with it and come out and compete. And what we want to do is, from Ninja Warrior, we've found that our fans have told us like, "Hey, my family lost thirty pounds," like, or you know, uh, my I got my dad to quit smoking, or I want to be a ninja like you guys when I grow up. Dude, it pulls on your heartstrings. Mm-hmm. We're actually like making it a difference in these kids' lives. I want to have an impact on childhood obesity in this country. Leave a legacy and show my boy that you can do something. So this has become like a new climb of sorts, a new obstacle. And um, I'm definitely climbing a little bit less and really focused on this obstacle. It's amazing. It's amazing, dude. And it's But it's amazing also to be at the point in my life where I've been a doctor for 13 years and I'm not that motivated by the money. Mm-hmm. It was never like that, you know? I was always in debt until I got out of med school even. It was just crazy debt. So it, it's been very interesting going on this adventure for this thing. And um, it's cool to have a charity partner and to be, have raised like a bunch of money for them. Mm-hmm. And I want to blow this. I want to blow it up. I want to blow this up and like provide kids with their role models and like plant seeds of greatness, you know, and affect the the obesity rates, which are like seven in 10 adults are overweight or obese in this country. One in three kids and a third of those kids are going to have early heart disease, diabetes and cancer and die and suffer. And But they like listen to ninjas. They don't listen to they don't listen to climbers and believe it or not they don't listen to doctors. Yeah, no, people I just go it. to sleep. Right. And there's like a lot of mistrust for doctors. Sure. But they listen to ninjas. Huh. It's wow. crazy. Yeah. So it's been it's it's been a crazy adventure and I got sucked in and like kids hugging my leg you know like I'm like the ninja doc. It's 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 really fun. I just talked to um, Eric Weinmeyer. Yeah. And he was talking about how these ideas for all the crazy stuff he's done, whether it was even climbing, first it was climbing Denali, second it was climbing, you know, Everest, all these things. Like they started out with somebody kind of mentioning it to him and being like, him being like, that's stupid. There's no way I could do that. (laughs) And so your little story there about a bunch of climbers sitting in a house and going like, ah, we dominate that. But nine you know a thousand nine hundred ninety nine out of a thousand you then you just grab another beer and like forget about it right and so somebody what who was it you said that like brian arnold yeah he said i'm doing it and yeah he's like i'm doing it and and then isaac did it and people may or may not know but only two climbers Mm -hmm. are the only two people to ever finish the show okay and jeff Britton did it first but then isaac caldero did it Mm -hmm. and shaved off three seconds and they're both v13 climbers right and then isaac won a million dollars right well yeah that's kind of well that's like one little tidbit that's really well known in climbing (laughs) right right it's like like, dude won a mil like yeah yeah. he did it right climber did it yeah Yeah. so uh it's cool now what is he has he disappeared into like a jungle in costa rica or something Ah, what's he doing now? a jungle in uh, chattanooga (laughs) okay yeah he and laura bought a house in chattanooga they're uh you know they're 
tour, they've toured the world right. and went to South Africa cool. and they're you know they're enjoying life and climbing. Yeah. Ninja Warrior is very stressful. And, right. You know that's the thing and like I like the and we tell everybody 90% of the year we're climbing, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm going to the gym, I'm going outside, I'm bolting routes. Now that's mm-hmm. like a big thing for me, although most of my career has been bouldering. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, uh, it's the most, you know, it's the thing I think about and dream about. Right. And then we do Ninja Warrior for a little bit. Right. Whereas, whereas some of these ninjas train year round for Ninja Warrior. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, it's, it, it's interesting because, um, you know, as climbers, we're super snobby, and, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I can imagine that when you guys saw it on the TV, it was like kind of funny and rolled your eyes. And then when your buddy was like, I'm going to really do it, everybody kind of like laughed and rolled their eyes. And, you know, but then again, you know, you got to walk against the grain and just say, screw it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this, whether you guys think it's silly or not. Yeah. Know? And people are starting to do that. Josh right. Levin, who's, you know, a great national youth climber mm-hmm. who's just coming on the scene, he's doing it. Uh, there's a, a ton of climbers who are starting to, you know, realize that, yeah, it's kind of funny, mm-hmm. you know, do this TV show and, you know, there's, it, it's not climbing. I would rather go climb, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's a really incredible experience. It's like this dreamlike experience when you're out there right? and it's, uh, it's just bizarre. It's right. totally bizarre. It seems pretty wild. It's actually. like a dream and then you come back and your real life is climbing and right. climbing is like definitely way better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's, it's fun when you're on the course for those two minutes. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your climbing then. Yeah. Um, sure. And you said you've been climbing for 25 years. Yeah. And did you, where did you start? So I started in North Carolina mm-hmm. on an outward bound when I was 16 years old. Okay. And uh, did a multi-pitch route on Table Rock. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, I mean, I was hooked. Right. It, it was, it blew my mind how rad it was, you know. Were you from North Carolina or was that just where you ended up on the course? Yeah, that's where I ended up. I, I grew up in Chicago. Mm. Um, got out of there when I was in college. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, but we used to go to the Where'd Red. Where'd you grow up in Chicago? I grew up, uh, actually, until I was five, I grew up in Lincoln Park. Uh-huh. And then moved up to Winnetka. And All right. went to New Trier High School. All right. LBV. <laughs> Libertyville. Oh, right no here. way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sure. We wrestled Libertyville. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, same, similar era, though. You're a little younger than I am, but... Right, right. Uh, but, yeah. So, there you go. Uh, good Midwest stock sitting right here. Yeah. And we both ended up in Colorado. Yeah. This go is figure. true. So, anyway, I interrupted. So, you were climbing in North Carolina. Yeah, I climbed in North Carolina and just really loved it. There were no climbing gyms back then. Uh, and then, you know, went to college in Miami and uh, climbed whenever I could, but mm-hmm. it wasn't a full-time thing. Yeah, in Miami. You're right. Yeah. You know, but I had like a, I think I had like some climbing holds on my loft. Sure. And I did pull-ups and I, you know, I trained a little bit. Mm-hmm. I wanted to climb but um yeah and we then i would take summers and we would go on climbing trips all summer and it it was really fun and then all of a sudden it kind of changed my life moving to colorado steamboat springs and i met my buddy matt bliss and the chancellor brothers who used to come out and hang out with us now they do so ill of course Mm -hmm. and we would we would just climb and I ended up going to Moab, ended up going to Waco for the first time. Mm-hmm. And just, again, expansive, mind-altering, like, wow, this is, okay, I got a boulder, you know, specifically. Right. Um, this is amazing. It's, like, kind of distilled what I want to do. I want to get as good as I can at this and push my own limits. It's the same thing I think everybody kind of goes through. 
And uh, then, you know, I road tripped through the years. I took years off at a time. I took a year off after college. I took a year off after med school and just spent time on the road mm -hmm. um, climbing. And then I, I built, you know, climbing gyms in, in my garage. I mean, I was fully hooked and addicted from, from the beginning. So, mm -hmm. so uh, you did undergrad in Miami. Yeah, undergrad in Miami uh -huh. and, and then took, a, took some time off. I actually lived in Japan for uh, a year and then climbed for a year. Okay. So I took a couple years off and then I went to med school at Tulane in New Orleans. Uh -huh. And so we, Jeez, dude, like, what's all up over with the these colleges in the middle of the, the flattest places in the, in the so U.S.? It's funny you ask that. And the reason why I chose those spots. Let's say you could stop climbing and I was, concentrate on I what was, you're doing. Right. I was worried that I always had a dream of becoming a physician, mm -hmm. becoming a doctor. Mm -hmm. And I was worried. From how young? Oh, I was like two years old. Oh, really? I mean, it was something I always wanted to be. Huh, okay. Like, I never had a choice even. I felt like it was, you know, maybe I was brainwashed by my parents. I have no right. idea. Right. But uh, suffice it to say, I really wanted to focus on my studies, and I did. Um, and part of that meant I had to keep climbing at an arm's length mm -hmm. and keep it something that was like in the future that I was going to dedicate, you know, a lot of time to. Um, but it's always been like that because, you know, I think you can spend your whole life climbing and that's great, but there's just so much to this incredible adventure. There's so much to explore and so much knowledge to gain and wisdom that this is just, you know, this is like a, a dream. This is like our, maybe it's heaven. I mean, who knows, but we're here for a little bit and we get to experience this incredible, crazy life that we can shape the way we want. And it just would be a little bit too narrow for me to focus solely on something, even the thing I love the most, which is right, climbing. Right. Well, that's in, uh, I mean, it shows, I don't know, it shows a fair bit of, I mean, that's quite a bit of kind of like executive functioning and like <laughs> yeah. forward thinking for a young person to be like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to like, I know what I'm, what, what I'm like and I will, I need to keep it away from me i mean it's pretty yeah it's pretty interesting were you always a kid like that i think so i was never a very popular kid uh -huh. you know which is actually maybe part of the reason why now i really relish in the limelight i love to be you know in the middle of it all i love to have friends i love right. to really develop relationships it's super important to me because growing up uh, we moved from the you know the, basically the city up to the suburbs and it was a real hard adjustment and uh, no, I didn't have a lot of friends growing up uh, for a, a long time. And, you know, it's not really a sad story right. because it ended up helping to make me who I am. Mm -hmm. And I think it gave me a real kind of understanding of uh, relationships and dealing with other people mm -hmm. and maybe some insight as to, you know, why things weren't working out for me to be a popular kid. So, uh, you know, with that being said, I've always been fairly introspective. And I, I really do think uh, quite a bit about a lot of things. Um, and so, yeah, perhaps it was natural to create my own path in, sure. a, in an intellectual fashion. Well, if you're, if you're an introspective guy, then uh, I'm going to ask you this question, which I ask sometimes. Sure, I'll be totally open. And I got, I, I, you know, it's, it's, I definitely get a mixed bag. But yeah. what do you think it is then uh, about climbing? You've got this this dream that you were going to be a physician yeah. and that sparked you for years and continues yeah. to this other half. What was it about climbing then 
more specifically and maybe specifically bouldering that right that was enough of a draw that you almost felt like okay if i if i go too hard with that then i'm gonna lose this dream do you know what i mean like yeah. that's a real that means there's something there that's really magnetic for you yes to even like it's like even though even it might it was almost becoming a piece of kryptonite to your other dream that you had to like get rid of it well, for a it's, while it's not that it was a kryptonite but it, it's more that it it was an absolute drug you know right. um there's something about climbing that is that i think a lot of people will understand is so completely zen you know mm -hmm. and that may be a cliche term but it's so it gets you into this flow state it's a it's a meditative thing um as i was telling you earlier i just i interviewed chris sharma for our podcast the wolfpack ninja podcast mm -hmm. and that'll be out in april and chris and i talked a lot about this and so it's really interesting to get his perspective but i feel the exact same way climbing to me is a chance to let go and step outside of myself and let my body, let the machine kind of take over mm -hmm. and, and uh, work its way through reality. And, and it's like kind of a search for perfection, right? Because if you're trying a, something that's difficult for you and you try a hundred times, then all of a sudden you attain it. It might be like timing that got it for you, hip position. It's just something that you don't know if it's possible and then you attain it. And there's, there's like an element of purity and perfection there that is egoless and that is, it's very addictive. And, um, you know, so even just being successful on a move and not sending a boulder problem for me at this point is something that I, I get really hopped up about. You know, I get mm -hmm. really excited about. So climbing was always something that I could easily spend my whole life doing and not focus on material possessions or money or prestige or any of those things. But at the same time, you know, there's positive and negative things about, about all those other things. And at the same time, I wanted to experience life full circle. I mm -hmm. wanted to have a kid. I wanted to be a father. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I knew from a, an early age that I just wanted to get the full experience in life. Mm -hmm. And I felt like if I was just a climbing bum my whole life, which I would be really happy doing, I don't need to take showers. I, I love living in the back of a truck climbing all the time. But I really wanted to create, uh, you know, maybe a more diversified life. Mm -hmm. Um, and it wasn't really a risk question. It wasn't like, well, what if I break my leg or become paraplegic and can't climb? Then what do I do? Um, it, it was more of a question of, I just want this experience to mm -hmm. have the most well-rounded human experience I can with the days that I have left. You know, mm -hmm. If you're into climbing and you do the road life and you do that kind of thing, it's, it's pretty easy to feel like when you're 25 or whatever it happens to be that you have it all figured out. And that yeah. this is, I found, you know, Nirvana and, you know, as long as I keep on this path and my life's going to be amazing. And I don't know, it, it, I haven't seen it turn out that way to be honest. as much as I love climbing, right. as much as I think it's like a lifelong pursuit, all these other things, Sure, sure. but also talking to you as now a father and someone who's done a bunch of different things. Like I've watched people not change their path and it doesn't like i said it just doesn't turn out that way it's like yeah oh, you need balance i mean you you spent time in yosemite oh yeah tons <laughs> and uh you know it's always i'm always commenting on this on the show and and 
times change in Yosemite, but there's always a contingent of really miserable people there, whether, yeah, whether totally. they're dominating in any era or they're not. Totally. And I've always said that like they, it's, it's, I have a feeling that they, they thought that that was going to be the end of the road and that was going to be like everything they'd always wanted. And it probably was for a little while, but then, you know, it stopped fulfilling them and, but yeah. they're, they're kind of there, you know, and, and I think anybody who's hung out there can comment on that. Like these folks that are just kind of whiling away the days in Yosemite, you know, or, or, yeah. or any climbing area. Well, and I think though, well, that's partly what happened to Dean, you know, I mean, Dean was, Dean was just an amazing guy who had to keep pushing it to, to, to change, mm-hmm. to change it up. He couldn't mm-hmm. just be the guy, you know, uh, dwindling away in the valley sure, right. and becoming part of, you know, so I, I, you know, I think that's what ultimately happened to Dean was he pushed it, pushed it a little bit too far, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, for, for most people, um, I think, and I was the same way climbing was that Nirvana. Mm-hmm. And I instantly realized that, you know, when I was young and we've all had this experience that the, my favorite song would come on. And I taped, I, you know, I taped it. I had the old cassette tape. Sure. And I taped it. And it was the best, best song ever. And I listened to it. I listened to it. I listened to it. I listened to it. And two weeks later, I, I was sick of it. Sure. <laughs> and it was the best song of all time. You know, I was like, for the first couple of days, I was like, oh, you got to listen to this song. I'm singing the song. I'm, and, you know, eventually everything gets old. And uh, even, you know, with relationships, you know, dating, dating or, you know, even marriage, everything, it's, it's a work in progress, you know, progress. And mm-hmm. it starts off, it's like, wow, this is the best thing ever. But everything in this world will get old at some point, right. you know, as you get familiar with it. And to rediscover it, it brings back the magic and brings the gift back to it. And so having the balance in your life and being able to, if, you, if you're lucky enough to have multiple passions, you know, I love guitar. So I play blues and classical guitar and, uh, you know, I'll hang it up for six, uh, six weeks or, you know, three, three months or whatever it is. I won't play a single, you know, a single lick. And then I'll, I'll bring it out and I'll slowly get back into it. And then I learn a new song and it's the same passion. And the only thing that has kind of transcended that is climbing. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, climbing, I always do. Um, but even now climbing has, uh, you know, slowly ninjas been introduced and I'm looking forward to a, a day when I'm road tripping full time again, mm-hmm. later on towards the end of my life. Uh, but for now, you know, it's like the most, <laughs> it's the most important of my portfolio of important things. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, of important activities anyway. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's a, it's a pursuit. It's a yeah. lifestyle. Right. I mean, it brings the, as far as I'm concerned, the coolest people in the world together. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, climbers are my favorite people, like right. hands down, the most accepting, the most genuine, authentic, non-judgmental people in general. And I'm generalizing. Yeah, and sure. Climbing has changed. No, you're, you're, you're uh, preaching the choir, my friend. Yeah. You know, no, I totally do. <laughs> the the podcast fist bump. Yeah. podcast. <laughs> but I mean, especially, and not to single out anybody, but mm-hmm. especially the, you know, the lifers and people mm-hmm. who've been in it for quite a bit, uh, you know, I mean, it's just as an understanding there, you know, like the, the hat tip, the nod. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. Do you, uh, let, let's talk a little bit about your, uh, just kind of some of the places and, and things you've done. Yeah. Um, we've, we just went out on the 
out on the philosophical limb there. So you spent a lot of time in Yosemite and you're like, yeah, totally. What, what, so you're a boulderer. Yeah. So what brought you to Yosemite right, in terms right, right. Of, of spending time there? Oh, I, is this the moment where we like transition into spray time? I love this. This is great. Whatever you want to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I Yosemite, I was like everybody else. I was overwhelmed. I walked in to the place. I drove into the place and I was, you know, literally mouth dropped to the floor like, holy you know, it was just unbelievable. So I knew I had to climb everything there. It, I really didn't care about being a boulderer. I obviously wanted to do midnight lightning. Um, I spent a couple seasons and it was warm and ultimately did midnight lightning. And that was like, you know, a great moment. But then my buddies wanted to do the nose. And so we did El Cap and that was my first big wall. And uh, that was crazy, too, because I had to learn how to jumar and haul the pig. And there were three of us, and we spent five days up there. We, we, we bivvied at Sickle Ledge. That's how mm-hmm. psyched we were. Um, so, you know, I mean, it was crazy. <laughs> and then... Yeah, you're you know, not far from the deli yet. Right. <laughs> Sickle Ledge. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the guy we went with was just... We hooked up with this random dude whose name was also Noah. And, you know, 19 pitches up, his rope cut on a on an edge and he fell 10 vertical feet to this like curb sized ledge and i grabbed his daisy and clipped it back in and it was like it was unbelievable it was a crazy moment and obviously he wanted to bail after that but well, so 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 hold yeah, on hold that, on that was crazy hold on. So. <laughs> let me get a little <laughs> bit of the logistics of this yeah so dude is what leading just not far off well, yeah yeah he was leading i think it was like a 10d off with at, mm-hmm. at eagle ledge Okay. I remember this stuff. You know, I don't right. have a topo in front of me, but I, right. you know. Yeah, you're going to remember the ledge that uh, <laughs> you cut the rope and you grabbed him. So he he clipped into a fixed piece that should have had a runner on it. Uh-huh. And the rope was zigzagged over a sharp granite, you know, uh, really narrow arete. And he got high and, you know, he said he got above his piece and said, hey, I, I'm, I'm going to fall. And uh, he... You know, he had told us some things that, in retrospect, you know, we realized he didn't have the level of experience that we thought he had right. when he originally told us. Uh-huh. Like, when we got to the top of El Cap, he didn't know how to get off, but he said he had done the nose before, that kind of thing. And uh, so, when he fell, we were like, you know, when he was about to fall, we were like, okay, well, you know, go ahead and take a whip. We were like, why is he complaining? And, and so, he fell, and there was just a poof of dust and I thought the piece had blown. He landed on the ledge, like just fell straight to the ledge. He was super scared. And like, if I had been in the situation, I wouldn't have been scared at all. I would have like jumped off the ledge to let the rope take me so I didn't break my ankles. Sure. But he luckily was very scared and just fell against the wall and somehow landed on this, literally, it's like a foot wide ledge. And uh, it's just, uh, it's, it's pretty vert up there. It's not like the slabs anymore. And uh, he's, I looked at him and his rope was just kind of blowing in the wind and he was totally unattached from the wall. And before anybody said anything, I just grabbed his daisy right. and clipped it into the blay. It ended up getting, and we all looked over the edge and like looked down and in our mind's eye, like he's tumbling right. with the rack and everything sure. and becomes this like long catch up mark down on the slabs. And he just knelt down and started crying. And we were all like, but he didn't like break his ankles or anything. No, no he, he just, was totally he just, like, fine. Stuck he it. was probably 
you know, 12 to 14 feet up. Right. And he was, he was a nimble little guy. And yeah. He fully stuck it. He fully stuck it. But I don't think like... It On was, purpose. They just yeah, I don't think it was like ninja stick. I think right? it was like serendipity <laughs> stick. It was like, you know, divine <laughs> intervention, if that's your thing. But um, yeah, and actually that was when... It's the, probably his thing now. Uh, well, no, after that he got a little crazy and started free soloing. Oh, he's like, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm totally like unbreakable. So that was, I mean, that was a crazy, uh, that was a crazy good You adventure. said it got written up or something? Yeah, it got written up in Rock and Ice, I think, as right. Screamer of the right. Month, you know, and, right. and they, somebody chose to call him Falling Noah because his right. name was Noah and they called me Catching Noah. They glorified it. I didn't catch him, you know. Right. But uh, ironically, there were some crazy things that happened also on the nose. We saw a helicopter go by. We heard a loud noise and, you know, and then the helicopter came by later and that's when the apron fall uh, happened uh-huh. um, and killed uh, uh, Peter Tarbish. That mm-hmm. one, Peter Turbish, rather. Uh, I think so. Was he climbing right. with uh, Carrie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah, you remember yeah. those guys? Well, they. Uh, I went to college with them. I mean, they oh, were. Man. So we. They yeah, were we in Gunny. Yeah, they were in Gunnison when I went back to school. Oh wow! So I knew. Uh, yeah, I knew Carrie and Peter for sure. So yeah, and we were friends with those guys and hanging out in the parking lot uh-huh. every day, uh-huh. and we were there that whole se- You know, the whole right. summer. Right. And. Uh, yeah, man, it brings back memories. You know, I mean, Carrie was up on the route, and oh, what a what a nightmare that was. But we were on the nose when that happened. Okay. And we saw the helicopter roll, and we heard it. It was crazy. Right. And uh, but yeah, other crazy things happened. You know, Dean and Timmy passed us on the nose. I think like twice. <laughs> <laughs> You've been up there for a while. <laughs> yeah, it's we, like zing, zing, yeah, they they go. like on one of their uh-huh. like four hour jaunts or whatever, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it was an incredible experience, but, you know, he lived. Uh, this guy Noah lived, and mm-hmm. that, w- that was crazy. And it's uh, it's like one of those things you keep with you. I still have the my end of the rope oh, right. around my steering wheel. It's been fif- over 15 years, right. you know, but on my, on my truck, you know. And one end is cut where I cut it with a knife to share it with him. Right. And the other end is, uh, is, like is blown frayed. out. Right. Yeah, it's frayed. And then the rope I've been using for cleaning off boulders for the last 15 years and, yeah. and bolting routes, <laughs> which, which I shouldn't be doing on a dynamic rope, but right. whatever. Right. Rad. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And so at this point, were you working there? Like, cause you said earlier that you then. Right. No, point, I was in right? med school. Oh, okay. Um, you were in. I, I wouldn't work there for seven, eight years later uh-huh. until seven, eight years later when I was like a much better climber mm-hmm. and more experienced. Um, and yeah, that was a crazy gig. But between those times, you know, I, I definitely did the Waco tanks for three months mm-hmm. at a time, Bishop for three months at a time. I went to New Zealand with Dave Hume and we uh, developed flock Hill, put up uh, a bunch of lines there, um, put up lines in South Africa, took several, you know, trips to South Africa with Wills and Lisa and mm-hmm. Daniel and Paul and uh, Tony Lemich. And uh, I put up the hatchling there, um, which is this great boulder that you can like rock. Oh, uh, right on. It's really cool. One of the few boulders in the world that you can do that. <laughs> and uh, it, it, a great story. Actually, Paul Robinson was, I saw he was just on your podcast. Yeah. Yeah. He was on a few months ago. Yeah. I, yeah, I haven't listened to his episode yet, but he was like fifth day on all his fingers were taped. He was destroyed. And we, and I went to try this great line that the Austrians had found the year before, but they couldn't finish off. Um, and I ended up, Paul and I ended up going 
you know, back to back on it. And he was just so exhausted and so wrecked. You know, here's a V15 climber. It was cool. I was able to to, like, to swoop the swoop VFA, the FA on yeah, that because he was on wrecked. Pablo. So, <laughs> nice. uh, yeah. And then he wanted to topple the boulder, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Out of spite. No, I, and I, I love it. And, and yeah. Paul's a good friend. He's mm-hmm. a great guy. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, and, and so you definitely, and then we went to Tahoe. We lived in Tahoe for eight years, uh, developed the bouldering there, and just did uncountable first ascents there. Mm-hmm. And uh, started bolting when I came here to Colorado three years ago and fell in love with it. And now we're developing one of the best limestone crags in the West. Right. You know, um, deep creek it's unbelievable yeah. yeah up above up above glenwood it's unbelievable uh-huh yeah so you we can't spray too hard about it man. <laughs> you know what it's, it's too, a cliff it's it's not it's too late man i know it is but yeah it's too late and uh yeah but and, and you, you can know, kind of reseal the bottle you don't want to tell your normal nation all about it nah, nobody's gonna go up there's too yeah, far true. to go it's, and, it and we're, we're still developing so if you yeah. go there and a big hunk of limestone falls on your head you know yeah. Totally. That's a caveat emptor, you know. It's, it's like, a little bit of a it's a little bit of a short season too. Yeah. Have you so. have you gotten on uh um, No. No. I can tell you no. I've been up there once and I had my baby with me. Oh yeah. He yeah. was like I don't know, four months old, five months oh, old. Oh right, right. And we I would did one route. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, no, I've taken Zun and rappelled in. Yeah. We did the hike. Yeah. <laughs> they could get shut down for sure. There's cavers there and Yeah, we but. I know all about your caver problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was a war. Yeah. A sort of a war. Someday soon that'll be let out of the bag. Come back and, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll let everybody know what happened at Deep yeah. Creek. So, um, yeah. So that, that's, uh, but that's, I mean, you moved into root climbing then, is that? Yeah. So when I moved to Colorado, I moved mm-hmm. into root climbing, which, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I'm 42 now. My, my back hurts. I, I love tall boulders. Mm-hmm. And so I've taken quite a few falls from the top of evolution and all these climbs and Broja, you know, like I, I love those climbs, but my back after all these years is just a 20 foot fall like that. I'm out for most, you know, for the, for like weeks and it's hard to climb at all. So, you know, bouldering has just become tougher and tougher and route climbing. I found a new passion for and bolting and developing routes has mm-hmm. become like unbelievable. We're developing another spot that I put on Mountain Project that's up north here called the Turkey Roost. Mm-hmm. And I found it, so it, it's open open season. I put up a three-pitch 13A that is just a world-class bolted route, you know? And it's and uh, Ian, Dory, and I, and um, Ryan have also been all up there bolting. Mm-hmm. And there's projects up there. Everything's open, you know? We don't. We, we really don't keep too many secrets. It's, Life's kind of too short, and there's just too much to do in the world now. It's overwhelming. You know, it's a it's definitely a, a philosophy that can, you know, go both ways in terms of whether you want to keep secrets and try to keep your just you and your bros at some place, yeah. or or you know if there's access issues, which you guys have at Deep Creek to a certain extent. Um, yeah, unfortunately, there is. I mean, it, well, it just hasn't been kind of hammered out what what uh, everyone's going to decide up there. Um, Right. And it's tough, too, because it is national forest land. So there should be no real access issues. Mm -hmm. But the road is like kind of an it's kind of like not a proper road Mm -hmm. that cavers have been using for 30 years. You know, if the cave, the cavers had this paradise all to themselves for a while. So we don't have to get back into it. But yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's been that's been interesting. Yeah. And you're right. There's 
there are two sides to the coin and everybody, I believe everybody's entitled to their position. And so I totally respect when uh, people want to keep, you know, an area that they've found, uh, you know, quiet. Um, and I think at the same time, you know, for me, I want to know about all these spots and go to them. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times it's interesting. You start talking about spots and people get worried and 99% of the climbers out there who are in the gym, who are doing stuff, you know, they might come out and check it out once or they might not, but it it generally doesn't lead to a big impact situation unless it's like roadside or the, the happies or, you know, so my experience has been that it's always easy to be, over concerned mm-hmm. you know and that keeping places for yourself and this is just my opinion i know a lot of people disagree but i just feel like that's it's a little selfish it's a little you know it's a little it's a little ego involved like if you and i i know what it's like i want to get the first ascent trust mm-hmm. me i mm-hmm. love first ascents mm-hmm. but at the same time you know it's, it's 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 like we're all in this together and I don't know. It seems like way, way back when there, yeah, there were secrets, but there weren't that many people. Mm-hmm. And it was mostly, you know, a hundred percent egotistical. Like I want to do everything here. And I think you reach a certain point in your life and you developed enough that you're like, you know, there's enough to go around. And this is, you know, like we're all dust and we're going to be gone soon. I, I know people are going to take issue with what I'm saying and I'm okay with that. Now, but at the same time, you know, I want to see new, new spots right. and people, you know, and I'm trustworthy. Look, if you tell me where your new spot is, I'm not going to go shouting about it. Um, but the bottom line is, you know, if, if people do that forever, then places actually fall off and never get seen at all. Right. And people move on. And I've seen that happen too. And then 10 years go by and people rediscover it, redo everything, rename everything, clean the moss off again. And that's happened in Tahoe, you know, where we thought we did climbs. And lo and behold, they were done 10 years before by Joe Misick and these other guys who were studs, you know. And it's like, it's, it's like there needs to be some kind of, I mean, there doesn't need to be, but... I just want to see everything before sure. I before I go. Yeah, you're just like, <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because this was like the subject of I think the second episode I ever did. Oh, yeah, um, was about like sort of secret crags and and the ins and outs of of dealing with all that stuff. And um, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of hypocrisy in it too because obviously every area in the world you know was once discovered by a bunch of locals who 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 wanted it for themselves right you know so whether you're in the needles in california uh or wherever it happens to be it's like you're climbing on other people's work right you know their awesome secret project at one at one point and so it's kind of a little bit hypocritical to to say, okay, I want to go climb at all your your local areas, but you can't come climb in my area. You know what right. I mean? And that, that's kind of the, the basis of it where I get a little bit prickly about it because it's like, well, yeah, if, if, the, if that's the only place you ever climb, then great. Yeah. But as soon as you go to Mill Creek, then you're yeah. at a place where there's a bunch of people that would just assume you're not there. Yeah. And so that's how it feels, right? Yeah. And it's not always awesome, so... But, but then, you know, there are, like we were just saying, there are access issues. There are places that can't handle a lot of people. And, right. But the other funny thing, or the, not the, it's not funny, but um, 
inevitable thing more and more now with with social media is that is your secret it, it's it's basically it's like it's like sand in your fingers it's going to leak out because yeah. and it's going to be your fault right. in the end because you wanted to tell a few people and you posted that one picture and like right. you know if you post one and here's my take yeah, on it yeah. if you post one picture on social media yeah. the cat is out of the bag yeah that's what I mean I mean that's how that's yeah. how I had to go to Roy to find Roy you know because I saw a picture of this place called Roy and it looked amazing and I right. love sandstone I've got a real thing for sandstone so i i literally drove out there not knowing where it was just driving around after google earthing looking for it for literally weeks i had a lot of time off. where is this it's in northern new mexico okay and now there's a guidebook and right, whatever right. everybody knows about it but you know after a you know a week and a half being out there they took the locals took mercy on me they saw my vehicle and they were like literally like you know, they knew that I was a climber. They knew I was coming mm -hmm. out. I was trying to get a hold of them. I was like emailing people, you know, who posted the photo and they, I had leads. I was talking to Nick Doddle, you know, it was like, it was crazy. And finally they brought me in and I saw this place and it was incredible. And I got to uh -huh. contribute some amazing first ascents, like this thing called Icarus. And, uh -huh. uh, and you know, it was, it was just meaningful for them to share that with me. Right. And then the process of, of it slowly opening up. And now it's a destination and it has a guidebook and it's a fantastic spot. And, um, you know, I've seen I've just seen that happen so many times that in the end, almost every time I've seen it's been better for people to share mm -hmm. and to just share with other climbers so that everybody can enjoy it. And then the whole climbing community can uh, can be involved with the discussion, um, with the access, mm -hmm. and with everything else, you know, because I, I think that, you know, if you don't deal with the problem and you keep the access, you know, behind the scenes and you just keep it small and you don't want anybody know about it, and then nothing ever gets done and, it, and the access is always an issue. So, you know, and last chance, like Canyon is egg, a little bit know, like, like get it yeah. out there. And, yeah. I think yeah. just kind of get it out there. You know I mean? It's, I, I, I think the climbing contingent now, the climbing family is big and strong enough with the access fund that we really do have a lot of, you know, and we do a lot of good in the world and mm -hmm. we, we clean up and climbers are good people and we we're great stewards of the land. And I just really believe that, um, all the really out there places that the lifers are going to love so much that are world-class. Uh, I think that, you know, like I feel an obligation, be, you know, it's the golden rule. I, I just feel mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. I, I would want someone to share that with me. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine if a place like Mallorca had never been shared with the world, you know, that still stands today. Lost got into smoking barrels. Like if I had I, never seen that in my life, I can easily say my life would not be as good <laughs> for, you know, awesome. if I hadn't done that route, like it's, right. it's epic. And that was a secret spot, you know, right. like right. that was like a locals, like, you know, very amazing Seco block spot. Yeah. And it was life changing for yeah. me. It was amazing. So you saw the movie and you were like, I'm going. Yeah, I saw this Clem do it, and yeah. I, Clem's a friend, and like I was like I, I know how crazy Clem is, and he the way he talked about it, like I know he's a very genuine guy, and how much he loves, you know, Clem, Clem is distractible, and like he only really loves certain things. He has an eye for quality, and when he did that, he was like, you know, when I think I'm not sure if it was a big up film or what it was. I saw that, and I, I Brian Caps and I were like, we got to go over there, and he I think he had already been there once. Mm -hmm. and, 
we went just to do that route, you mm-hmm. know, and it was epic. It was epic. Hey, buddy. <laughs> I'm not talking about the others. I'm talking about this. We're going to soon go. Take a shower and go to sleep? Yeah. Okay, we're going to be done in just a few minutes. I love you. Go give us a couple more minutes, okay? Yep, we're almost finished. You're a good boy. He's climbing like a champ. Is he? Yeah. Well, not know. now with a broken arm. But... How did he break his arm? Skateboarding? No, he was playing with his Matchbox cars, and mm-hmm. he, he was on, like, a platform, uh, and he, like, misplaced his hand and fell and broke it and oh, was facing the wrong way. Really? Yeah. Oh, gnarly. Gnarly. All right, out of here, buddy. Cool. <laughs> yeah, he climbs with Bays. Matt's kid. Uh huh. Matt's one of my best friends. He married Samay and I, my wife and I. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, Matt. Matt and I have road tripped and traveled the world more together than me and anybody else, you know. And um, and now it's so great to see our kids playing together. Right. And. And now we're just interested in, you know, traveling new places. Like we went to Albertine a year or two ago and it's fantastic, you know. It's anyways, I digress. No, that's fine. Well let me just ask you a couple of last questions about sure. you've been talking a lot about this whole idea of having this full life and and yeah. and and wanting to sort of do a little bit of everything in terms of trying to have a family and have a career and have climbing and all that sort of thing. So, I mean, what's your sort of feeling on creating this balance where you have these multiple passions, you have these multiple responsibilities? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So first thing is I think perspective is really important. And I think I'm lucky with the career that I've chosen that I have constant perspective, the way I see people die all the time in the emergency department, the horrible things that happen to people um, I, I constantly, not in a bad way or an obsessive way, but mm-hmm. I think about, you know, death and dying and my life and my death uh, all the time, you know, and I, I visualize it. And um, it's something that's really actually an important part of my kind of daily mantra and helps me live my life to the fullest. Because mm-hmm. I, I really think, like I said before, that this is heaven, you know, whatever. I'm not a real religious person. So this is you know this is this This is like maybe your one shot like yeah yeah, maybe this is the one shot and i don't know you know i mean maybe i get to go to heaven or go somewhere else i don't know um maybe i get reincarnated i have no idea but my like gut feeling is that this is like the one shot and then it'll be the same after as it was before which is just you know uh, i don't you can't even there's no words right, right to describe it so if you get if you have that perspective and there's ways to get that perspective if you're not like an ER doc working in the ER all the time but I think helping people, you know, volunteering in a, a you know in a in a home or just whatever, however you can get perspective in your life um, you know about how fragile life is and how how much some people suffer. Travel does that, you know, I think it's good. Uh, but once you get that perspective, I think that the balance comes more naturally. Because, you know, you don't want to work too hard, but you want to be fulfilled by work and helping other people. You want to play all the time, but you also want to be fulfilled. So the the balance kind of works itself out. Um, I think that you have to become very good at time management, just like you become very good at climbing or any other skill. Time Mm -hmm. management is a huge and very important skill. So if, you know, I don't watch TV, right? So that's a lot of time that I have 
but you know, I have to make time to spend with my boy uh, and my wife, make time to go on climbing trips. And right now I'm in the whirlwind with this tour that's coming Mm -hmm. up, this competition that we're setting up. It's uh, 60 to 80 hours a week of work, you know, and we're working really hard on this to make it an incredible event. Um, So I would say that in order to really, you know, you can you can think about having balance. You can try and have balance, but to actually have balance, I think you need the perspective first and then the balance just kind of falls in line and you're going to you're going to do what is the most fulfilling and the most rewarding, you know, the most fun, but also the most healthy, you know, I mean, if you're smoking cigarettes and if you're an alcoholic or, or whatever, if you have a problem with alcoholism, then you're out of balance and it may not be a time balance thing, but you're out of balance and maybe it's a perspective issue, um, whatever. But I think as long as you always realize that there's a place that you can go and improve your life and if you can dedicate yourself to self-improvement then um you know then the balance comes right and so a lot of that's perspective do you feel like there's a time in somewhere someday that climbing becomes less important and maybe out of your life or is it is do you see yourself as a lifer i totally see myself as a lifer i've actually uh yeah i mean i've thought about you know when i'm too old to climb how I don't I don't know if I could actually do it, but how wonderful it would be to like go to the top of El Cap and like jump off. You, know? <laughs> you do you do ruminate on this a little bit too much, sir. <laughs> Maybe that's it. I can't climb. No, nothing's left. I'm, I'm. I don't think I would ever get up right, there. I'd have right. to like hike over from Tuolumne. Yeah, think. sure. No, no, old I, now. And yeah, I, there's some logistic problems with I, getting out there. I, I've made the same horrible joke around, about my 16-year-old dog and you know, it's it's not funny. I mean, it it but it, I I don't I want to climb forever. Right. But the way I see people break down and what happens with our bodies, there'll be a time when I won't be able to climb and you know, hopefully I can minimize that by staying as healthy as possible and you know, just keep going just keep enjoying it i mean it's you know it's funny because nowadays at 42 years old i'm not really interested in climbing as hard you know like i was never naturally gifted at climbing um i were i tried as hard as i could to climb it i wanted to climb v14 which was like the hardest i wanted to climb v14 so bad you know and uh and I got to where I could climb a few V12s, you know, and and I, once I spent like 23 days on a V13, I just couldn't do it, you know, I just just don't have it, you know, I, I mean, I don't have that, I, ha- I have like the work ethic and I have the desire and I even had the time, I think, you know, right. I mean, some people were like, well, if you didn't go to med school, you would, but that's not true, I mean, I spent so many years and, and I trained and I really wanted it, I just couldn't get to that level. And, uh, so now that's not that important to me anymore. And now what's really important to me is quality of the climbing and, um, hanging out with people and pushing myself on whatever it is, you know, um, it doesn't really matter if, if I get a good, if I get the effort to try hard, if I get the effort, the ability to really, if I feel like I pushed myself, I'm so happy, even if I fall, you know, close to the anchors. I'll, I'll fall screaming like, yeah, you know, like I'll just get so psyched because I tried hard 
And at the end, that's really fulfilling. I have a friend he called, I just learned this, he calls it the Zen Send. Oh, if nice. you fall at the anchors, yeah. then you've actually gotten more out of the route than if you had clipped the anchor. You, <laughs> because you got the feeling of, you got the feeling of onsighting the whole thing, if yeah. that was what you were trying to do. Then you also got the feeling of failing. And maxing out. And maxing out and falling. So right. you got the whole package, the Zen send, everything. You got to experience everything. That's very, that's very, very interesting. And I think there's some people who would be like, but you that didn't bolt the chain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I get it. I get it. He's yeah, going to be stoked I brought it up, Bruce. I, well, that's I had everybody. But check this out. Listen. I had the ultimate Zen send. Yeah. Because I got to the top of a route at Maple Canyon and climbed over the top of this hard thing and really it turns into like almost a slab with mm -hmm. cobbles where it doesn't matter how pumped you are right and i grabbed a cobble went to actually clip the chains had fully de-pumped and was fine was going for the clip and this massive cobble pulled off uh -huh. when i when i stepped over to clip the chains and i went flying and i hadn't clipped like the last couple bolts so i took this huge winger and luckily the cobble didn't kill anybody down right. below um so that was like the ultimate <laughs> Zen Sen. Yeah, you went even further. Cause, you got, yeah, because pull I, some loose rock off. Yeah, I didn't clip the chains. I actually counted that one. You should count that one. Come yeah, on. you got to count it. Yeah, man. totally. <laughs> um, well, you know, one last thing I was thinking about when you were talking about this perspective, yeah. this idea of that comes first, and and then your your morbid joke about leaping off El Cap is that yeah, there is a possibility that your perspective will save you from jumping off El Cap. And in other words, yeah. there's, there, there may come a point in your life where the, what you think now has changed radically to totally. where you can stand and look at a, your grown son climbing, if he's climbing or whatever it is he's doing, and you can be like, well, climbing actually, I don't need it anymore. Yeah, you know what I mean? 100%. I mean, I would hope, I would hope that all of us who, who look to this day when they their physical body can't do what they want to do anymore that we're not so i don't know in it that that suddenly it's our lives over. are over right 100 yeah. yeah and, and just to just to be clear and clarify for everybody i, I am never going to jump off of yeah no, no, i know uh, i mean it was a I, metaphor right yeah like I, I want the idea every, every moment with <laughs> right, my right, family right, right. i love life right you know absolutely love it um no there's no intervention coming don't worry <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah don't worry like, did I, you hear what he said yeah don't don't hospitalize <laughs> me but but seriously i i think that that day will come yeah and um and there's a sadness, uh, you know, about that because I've climbed for more than half my life, mm -hmm. uh, a good deal more than half my life. And uh, uh, it's my best moments, all my best moments, my best relationships, the, you know, the, the best times have all been climbing. And, you know, my wife is a, a climber and, you know, and Samay is... You know, nobody, nobody really knows Sime, you know, but, and she's like an undercover Kung Fu agent. You know, she's climbed V11. She's a better, way better climber than I am, you know, just, uh, and like, she's totally content with just going out and climbing and, and she would be totally okay with not climbing. Mm -hmm. And so I learn a lot from her. So right. it's interesting you say that because for me, and you know, it's hard to admit, but I think everybody has a little bit of ego involved and. Um, you know, I think for me at, at a point in my life, maybe before now, 
it, it was important to get a first ascent or it was important to push my grades and get a new grade. And, you know, and I think that I've learned a lot from Samay because it, she doesn't care at all. Right. She wants to push herself, but like then nobody needs to know about it. And, you know, she's really like this amazing, humble, powerful person that has been like a huge and important part of my life. And uh, I was lucky enough to give her the gift of climbing, you know, and have her start climbing uh, when she hopped on my Woody in New Orleans in, uh, in 2000. You know, I mean, that started her adventure. And so we've been all over the world together. And now we've got a great little boy. So it'll be interesting to watch his adventure with sure. climbing. Well, cool, dude. Thanks for uh, coming on. There was a lot of... Yeah. Uh, a lot of deep thoughts on there. Yeah, totally. No, and, uh, I, we, we definitely went we went there. Cool. And I uh, appreciate you having me into your place. So Yeah, thanks so much. You want to go try the salmon ladder? Uh, no. I already, <laughs> uh, like I said, if you if you got some ortho, that'll give me a discount on shoulder surgery. We'll, oh, yeah, we'll we got a couple ortho climbers. <laughs> yeah. Right on. Thanks, Noah. Thank you, brother. It's so good to see you. And, yeah, I appreciate you coming up. Okay, folks, thanks for listening. Thanks for being there. And thanks to Noah for sitting down in his home, having me into his home. And I want to mention again to make sure you know about the Wolfpack Ninja Tour, April 29th and 30th, the Magnus Arena, University of Denver, Denver, Colorado. Go to wolfpackninjas.com for information about how you can get into the competition, buy tickets to see it, get your kids involved, all that sort of thing. So, Go check it out, wolfpackninjas.com, the Wolfpack Ninja Tour. Also, he wanted me to mention, I think he's rubbing it in a little bit, just a little bit. He's got uh, Chris Sharma coming up this month. I believe actually the first episode's already out. It's a two-parter on his Wolfpack Ninja podcast, also at wolfpackninjas.com. So, how many times did I say Wolfpack Ninja there? A lot. But anyway, it's got Chris on. He's an old friend of Noah's. They've climbed together. And he got him on. Why haven't I had him on? Well, he lives in Spain. And he's a very busy man. He's got a little Sharma baby of his own, actually, dealing with that. So one of these days, one of these days, I'll have him on. Don't worry. Of Chris Sharma on the Enormacast. You know, these pro climbers, they're like a prime rib. You know, just, you gotta, you gotta let it age just slightly. You don't want it to spoil, but you want it to have a little bit of uh, texture and flavor. And so... You know, when Chris is ready, when he's ready to really open up and get into that juice and that meat and that big hunk of fat that runs around the outside, then that's when the normal cast will pounce. Don't you worry. We'll be slicing into Sharma's prime rib soon enough. All right, folks, let's make sure your own meat sack doesn't receive any damage this spring as you're getting into climbing here in North America, where life is getting warmer and drier, I hope, where you are, and you're getting out on the rock. Don't forget to check that knot. My name is Rex, and if you study with my eight-week program, you will learn a system of self-defense that I developed over two seasons of fighting in the octagon. It's called... Rex Quando! I need a volunteer. <laughs>